0: Please be seated. And if you would, take out your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Luke 2. If, if you're using the Bibles that are in your rows, uh, it's on page 857. If you do not own a Bible, we would be very honored for you to take one of those and to use it throughout the week. Over the last few weeks, we have taken our br- a break from our study of the book of Hebrews that we have done for most of 2022. We'll resume next Lord's Day, Lord willing, uh, by looking at Hebrews 11. But we've taken a break over the last couple of weeks to look at how people in Scripture responded to the news of the Incarnation. And each of them has given us some insight as to how we should respond as well. We saw John the Baptist, who even in the womb of his mother Elizabeth, he leapt for joy at being in the presence of Christ. We saw the wise men who gave of their talent and their time and their treasure to come and seek Christ. Last evening, we met the shepherds who heard the good news of the birth of Christ, and and they ran with haste to seek him. Now, I want to make sure you don't get the la- wrong lesson from those last two. The, the wise men and the shepherds show up at Christmas, and then they're never heard from again. That's not what we want you to learn from this. Uh, what we want to learn is how do we celebrate the incarnation? Today, we're going to look at another group who responds rightly to the birth of the Lord Jesus. They respond in worship, and it's not just momentary worship, it's not just a, a holiday season type of worship, but it's a, a constancy of worship, because they have seen firsthand the glory of the incarnate Christ. They know what he deserves, and so they worship him, not just for a moment, but for all eternity. I want to pray, before I read God's word, I want to pray that we would see the same thing, that we would see the glory of Christ and that he would be so infinitely worthy in our eyes that it would be our privilege to come and to worship him. Let's go before our God in prayer. Holy Spirit, come and we pray uh, that you would reflect to us some refracted beam of the glory of Christ. Now we know that if, if we right now were to see Christ in, in full glory, our, it, it would burn out the retinas of our, of our souls. We couldn't look upon him. And so just as we sang, late in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Lord, we, we long to see more of Jesus now. Show us his glory And would it so rapture us that it would be our privilege to worship him not only at Christmas, not only on the Lord's Day, but now and always as the angels do. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. you'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was, with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angel went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard. As it had been told them. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. If you were here last week, you know we looked at the story of the wise men, and I pointed out that the hymn, We Three Kings, that that so many of us are familiar with, is it really is not reflective of, of the biblical story. We don't know that there were three. We don't know that they were kings. And we don't think that they were from the Orient. And so I told you we, if we wanted the hymn to be a little bit more accurate, we'd have to rewrite it. And so the best I could come up with was, we indeterminate number of men of unknown employment of Orient are not. Well, I, I did not receive any thank yous for ruining a beloved hymn. Uh, I'm sure that my translation of it left its mark on you, and some of you probably want to leave a mark on me for ruining the Christmas story. And so you're wondering, Pastor, how are you going to ruin this Christmas story for us today? I suppose you're going to tell me that the herald angels were not really singing, were they? Is that, is that what you want to ruin? That, that's a lot of songs, by the way. There's a lot of songs about the angels singing. you going to ruin that one for me as well? Well, funny you should ask, because if you look at verse 13, the passage which I read, it doesn't say that they were singing glory to God in the highest, but rather they were saying it. But I'm not going to ruin this hymn, because I do think they were singing. In fact, there's a couple of reasons I think they were singing. One of them is that that word praising God is typically used for song. Certainly you can praise God uh, just in speech, but it's most commonly used for singing. Secondly, there were a multitude of angels, and so it's not likely that they were all reciting the same saying, but rather that they were all singing together. And the third reason I think they were singing is that's, that's what angels do. Angels sing. When we see them again and again and in the scriptures, they, they're singing, not just at the Christmas story, but throughout eternity. Because singing is what you do when you've witnessed the glory of the incarnate Jesus. We're going to take a lesson this morning from the angels about how to celebrate the incarnation, and I want you to see three things. Three things about the angels. First, they sing with exultant joy. Second, they sing with evangelistic joy. And third, they sing with eternal joy. And so we're going to work our way through those three things. So first, look at the exultant joy of the angels. And I know we don't usually use that word exult or exultation except at Christmas. And so we sing those words from O come all ye faithful, sing choirs of angels, sing in exultation. When we think about the angels singing in exaltation, we're understanding that the angels are not just picking up their hymnals and singing drably through a song. Have you ever been guilty of that? You're just going through the motions. I've done that. We have to be very careful about that because that's actually a way that we can break the third commandment of taking the Lord's name in vain, saying things that we really don't mean or, or that our hearts are not believing. But the angels have never done that they sing with joy that is unparalleled when compared with anything else on this earth you know all, while all the holy angels have all had joy from being in the presence of God their joy at the incarnation seems to be increased even more because they understood that with the coming of Christ it guaranteed God's triumph over the kingdom of darkness They understood that this baby, born in Bethlehem, is the seed of the woman promised way back in Genesis 3 in the garden who would come one day to crush the head of the serpent. They came, these angels have come in exaltation to proclaim victory, much like you Clemson fans have done uh, the last seven years of Sundays after Thanksgiving until this year. God gave me a little bit of reprieve this year. But you know what it is to sing in exultation. It's a proclamation of victory. And this one angel comes and gives them good news that the child has come. But even his lone voice is not enough to adequately express the joyous magnitude of the situation. And so in verse 13, we're told a multitude of heavenly hosts Show up. Now, a multitude is, is military language. Uh, think of, of, of the angel there in, in verse 9, the lone angel, as the commandant. And then in verse 13, the whole army appears. A, a multitude is something like 10,000 times 10,000. It's an incredible number. And if you want to just think about the sheer force of this event, Think about a story in 2 Kings chapter 19 when one angel comes to defend God's people and in one night kills 185,000 Assyrians. So an angel is at least that powerful that in one night can defend God's people from 185,000 Assyrians, and we're told that there are 10,000 times 10,000 here. This is an incredible display of exultation. There is no wonder the shepherds were frightened. And so that's why before the regiment shows up, the lead angel speaks a word of comfort in verse 10. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that'll be for all the people. I've said this over the last few weeks. I think I've said it each Sunday the last couple of weeks. I risk being redundant and saying it again, but you and I forget this. The most joyful people in the Christmas story are those whom we see serving and worshiping God. And that's because the most joyful people in the world are those whom we see serving and worshiping God. You know, the holy angels do not care about material goods. They don't care about rank or title or reputation. What they care about is serving and glorifying Christ. And they know that true joy, lasting, exultant joy, is only found in serving and worshiping Christ. John Newton, maybe the greatest hymn writer in the English language, highlights the joy of the angels this way. He says, if two holy angels were sent down from heaven, one to rule an empire and the other to be a street sweeper, both would be equally content to serve the Lord. I don't know how this one angel was chosen for this particular task to make the annunciation to the shepherds, but I know this, the holy angels love to serve God. They know there is nothing in all the world, in all the heavens, that can bring them greater joy than worshiping and serving Christ. But the Bible does give us a warning, doesn't it? And that is, not all the angels love to serve God. There were many more angels in the beginning, but there was one group of angels, uh, uh, Satan. And all the demons were once among the angelic ranks. But Satan grew jealous of Christ's glory and he thought there was something better than to glorify Christ. And he thought, if I could receive that glory, then I would experience greater joy. You know, it is always utterly destructive to think there is anything else in all of existence that can bring us more joy than serving and worshiping Christ. And so Satan and the demons were cast out of heaven and ever since then have been the most miserable of all beings. And by the way, their desire is that you would be equally miserable. And the way they want you to be equally miserable is to take your eyes off of Christ, to distract you from serving and worshiping him. For Christians, like for the angels, we know That the greatest joy, the most exultant joy, comes from knowing this world cannot provide our greatest joy. And instead, from looking at the one who is joy itself. And so we meet these angels in pure exultation. And then second, the, the angels aren't just full of exultant joy, they're full of evangelistic joy. Verse 10 again, the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That word good news is the the Greek word euangelion. We translate it as evangel or gospel. If you were to translate verse 10 as literally as you could... It would say, I have come to evangelize you with mega joy. The angel's joy is not about an idea, but about a historical event. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. I want you to notice a few points that the angel relays. This is all factual information here. And so first, the angel says, I bring you good news. Uh, that's just that's not just a matter of opinion. You've heard somebody say I have good news and then you hear it and you think that's not really that good of news. But this is the good news for which the entirety of creation has waited. All creation has waited with eager longing for Christ to come and burst the bonds of sin and death. And so the angels are announcing good news. And then second, they say it's good news to all people. Now, they do not mean that every person on the face of the earth is going to equally rejoice at the coming of Christ. In fact, some people don't respond with joy at all. They respond with envy and malice and anger. But when it says all people, what it's saying there is there's no more exclusion of people based on race or gender or social status or nation of origin? We've already seen that in our studies over the last few weeks. We see the wise men coming from somewhere to the east. We don't know where, but what we do know is they're probably Gentiles. That's a big deal that the gospel takes the good news global. It's for all people. It doesn't matter your your origin. It doesn't matter your wealth. It came to shepherds, didn't it? It doesn't matter your past. It's good news for all people, Uh, not just just religious elites. In in fact, they're the ones who tended to not see it as good news. It was generally the, the fringy, marginal, struggling people who thought it was good news. It was the people who knew they didn't deserve it that thought it was good news. It's good news to all people, even those of us who've blown it who've been bad husbands or bad wives, who, who've been a poor example as a parent, who struggle with addiction, who, who perhaps have so, even though maybe we were raised in the church, have distanced ourselves from it. The good news is those things don't make Christ off limits to you. For all who repent and believe, this is good news. Nothing can exclude you from that. Turn to Christ and trust Christ. Now third, the angels are saying that this good news is the fulfillment of Old Testament promises. Verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now all of that is a summary of everything the Old Testament pointed to. When you see the language of Christ, that's the English translation of the Greek word that was used for Messiah in the Old Testament. And, and what he's saying is this, that, that Bethlehem, just as it was promised through Micah 600 years ago, Bethlehem is the landing pad the birthplace of the Son of God, just as God promised. And fourth, this good news is about a person. This baby in Bethlehem is is a true baby in every way. He's not an idea. He's not a system. He's not a religious experience. He's a newborn baby who makes noises and who cries when he gets hungry. Uh, Crying's not sinful. It's a reminder that Jesus was, was truly human in every way that is essentially human. There was no halo around his head, no physical marks that would distinguish him from any other baby. And yet, this little baby person laying here is also the second person of the Trinity. He himself has been God forever. Uh, this baby is God taken on flesh. Uh, these titles of 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 savior christ lord that group of titles is not used anywhere else together in the scriptures he's a savior he he's the one who who's come to deliver us from the powerful enemy of sin and death he's christ the anointed one the messiah he is lord this little baby is the ruler of the heavens and the earth fifth the angel explains th- that this person has come to bring peace. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. Now, he's not speaking about world peace, because if, if Christ's goal was to immediately produce world peace, then the last 2,000 years have been a pretty miserable failure, haven't they? But that's not what Christ came to do. In fact, this child actually, for a time, divides the world. That world peace will not come until the end, until the eschaton. This child will divide the world into two categories. Those who have been reconciled to God and have peace with him, and those who have not. By the way, this room is divided in that way as well. There are some who know the Lord Jesus and have peace with God, and others who don't. Now, it's important because as we think about this army of angels that are here, armies typically bring war, don't they? Well, these armies came to announce peace. But in the announcement of peace by this army, we need to remember that one day Jesus will come again. He'll come alongside another army of angels. Not to pronounce peace, but to pronounce judgment. And for all who have not repented and trusted in Christ and found peace with God, it will be too late. Now is the time to receive the free, gracious offer of peace. Because one day he will return, not with a proclamation of peace, but of judgment. And then the sixth thing the angels say, their message is theocentric. It is God-centered. Glory to God in the highest. That is the great ambition of the angels. You know, angels have no ego. The holy angels have no ego. We have egos. We get concerned about whether we get recognized and what other people think of us, and and whether we get credit for things that we've done, or if somebody slighted us, uh, our egos get in the way all the time. Well, these angels aren't concerned about that, about their ego. The chief question on the angel's mind is always, how can we display the glory of God here? Uh, just as an early application, that ought to be the question on every Christian's mind every day. Are you in the midst of deep personal conflict, work conflict, marital conflict? Wh- wherever you are finding yourself in conflict, how do I display the glory of God here? Are, are you retired and find yourself with lots of free time on your hands and feel like you have no purpose? How do I display? the glory of God here? That's the question on the angel's mind. That should be the question on the mind of every believer. How do I display the glory of God here? So so the angels come with this six-point message. It all amounts to the, the evangel, the pronunciation of the gospel. Just think about that for a second. The angels are excited about the gospel. And you might say, well, that's their job, right? That's that's what they're called to do, to go and sing praises to God. But I want you to think about this. I mentioned th- that Satan and and the other fallen angels, when they sinned, when they fell, there was no redemption for them. And so uh, Satan and the demons were cast out of heaven. There was never a redeemer sent. They, they sinned and they were done. The other holy angels never sinned, and so they stay In heaven with God. But for us, for God's fallen people, there is a Redeemer. It's an amazing display of the glory of God that the angels are absolutely fascinated with. They're not firsthand partakers of the gospel, and yet Peter tells us that the angels long to look in on these things in a, let's say this in the most sanctified way possible, the angels are jealous of what you have in Jesus Christ because Jesus didn't die for you, uh, for them. Jesus died for us. And... You know, you'll go to a funeral and sometimes people will say, heaven need another angel. And you need to say, no, that would be a demotion. Because in glory, we will be slightly above the angels. The angels won't be jealous of that. They'll rejoice to see how God has taken sinners and redeemed us and moved us into a place of honor. Uh, The joy of the angels is something we should be in awe of. And it should be a challenge to us because if the angels have this evangelistic joy, shouldn't you and I have exponentially more? Uh, Do you know folks that are this excited about the gospel? There aren't a whole lot. You know, many of us can be very skilled in talking about theology or church politics or our favorite celebrity pastor, but what really glorifies God Is the kind of evangelistic joy that the angels have here. And my friends, there is no reason these angels ought to be more excited about the gospel than you or me. Because these angels didn't need to be forgiven, they're without sin, they didn't need Jesus to die for them, they never rebelled against God. You and I should never let the angels outpraise us. They're excited about the gospel, but you and I have more reason for evangelistic joy even than they do. So we've seen exultant joy. We've seen evangelistic joy. The last thing I want you to see is eternal joy. I mentioned the, the, the wise men, the shepherds. We see them at Christmas. We never see them again. That's not an indication of their spiritual state so much as just the fact that their role was over in the story. But the angels, we see them again and again and again in Scripture, and what they are doing is joyfully praising Christ. In fact, if you want to know, what are the angels doing right now? What are the angels doing in heaven? They are praising Christ. They're worshiping and serving Christ. You know, we see that more clearly in the book of Revelation than anywhere else. Look at Revelation with me, last book of the Bible. And we're just going to skim through a few passages. Look at Revelation 5. I want you to see what the angels are doing right now. Verse 11. This is John's vision in the new heavens, in the new earth. Then I looked and I And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. It's eternal joy. Nobody's compelling the angels to do this. They've seen the glory of Christ. And it's their pleasure and their privilege to praise him. Flip over uh, uh, two chapters, Revelation 7. Verse 11, and all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And then you turn over one more, Revelation 19. This is an amazing passage about the marriage supper of the Lamb. Verse 6, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. You know, the descriptions of The angels' worship in heaven, it it puts to shame the most uh, uh, enthusiastic rock concert, the most excited sporting event you can ever imagine. And of course, it puts to shame the worship of most churches. Because the angels have seen how infinitely glorious Christ is and it produces in them eternal joy. Beloved, the angels confront us with the fact that those who truly grasp God's nature and what he has accomplished will be moved to praise. One author writes that those who dwell with God in heaven constantly break forth in song, Overwhelmed with joy and adoration by his perfections in himself and by his awesome achievements in creation and redemption. You know, n- nobody says to the angels, You need to get up and go to worship now. It, this is their privilege. This is their pleasure. Is it the same for you? Do you have, have exultant, evangelistic joy that? bubbles up in you now and is going to overflow through you unto eternity. Well, I don't know if you have it, but it's offered to you in Christ. And the more you fix your eyes upon Christ, the more that joy becomes reality for you and me. That's why the angels are praising Jesus for all eternity. They've seen the glory of the baby in the manger, the Savior born in the city of David, the carpenter of Nazareth, the crucified Messiah, the resurrected Lord, the reigning King, the coming judge of all the earth. They have seen him and they praise him. I see these scenes of angels in heaven as I read through Revelation. And I can't wait. Not because of the music, though it'll be glorious. It's never about the music in worship. It's always about Jesus. And the best thing about heaven, and the thing I look forward to the most in heaven, is that there will be nothing to distract me or to tempt me to look away from Christ. Can you echo that? Can you amen that? Because what's extended to us in the gospel for those who trust Christ is that glimpse of heaven on earth now. That as we turn from our sins and we turn from all the earthly distractions that Satan would set before us and we fix our eyes upon Jesus, we get a sampling, we get an appetizer of the exultant, evangelistic, eternal joy that will be ours for all eternity if we belong to Christ. I cannot wait. How do we apply this text? Two simple points. Ponder and proclaim. I didn't focus on Mary, but we're told that Mary's been taking all of this in, and she ponders these things in her heart. She, she chews over them. She marinates them. to ponder is to meditate upon God's word. I had a pastor ask one time, what do you think about when you think about nothing? Where does your mind go when you're not at work, when you're not in the middle of of your duties? Where does your mind go? To ponder Christ is to train your mind to think about these things. How do we keep the good news of the gospel from becoming, meh, mundane. I've heard it so many times. It's it's no longer a big deal to me. Ponder it in your heart. Chew on it. Meditate upon it. Turn it over and over and over again. Study the scriptures day in, day out. Look to the scriptures because there you will find more and more good news about the wonder of Jesus Christ. So the first application is we need to ponder these things. And second, we need to proclaim them. We need to proclaim them. The angels didn't say to the shepherds, Now y'all need to go do some evangelism. But that's exactly what the shepherds do. They go out and they say, You've got to you've got to see what just happened to us. You've got to hear what God has done. Have you ever shaken up a, a, a coke and then opened it and it, it explodes everywhere? When your heart has has been shaken up by the gospel. As your mouth opens, gospel explodes everywhere. It it blows forth from God's people. That's why Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. If your heart is full of gospel pondering, then your mouth will be full of gospel proclamation. So beloved, what do we do with this text? We ponder. And we proclaim. Let's pray together. Oh Lord our God, I pray that we as a body would not simply give a head nod to these truths and then go back to our everyday lives of of distraction and idolatry. But that we would ponder these things. And that they would so transform us that as we open our mouths what we would find is that what naturally flows forth is a proclamation of the good news god we confess that we think evangelism is has to be a program we have to be trained in it well that's fine but it's most naturally the overflow of a heart that has pondered the gospel that has internalized the good news and is ready like the shepherds to go into all the world and proclaim it.